Welcome to Talking Book Publishing with Kathleen Kaiser, brought to you by Writers and Publishers Network. Hello, and welcome to Talking Book Publishing. I'm your host, Kathleen Kaiser, and today we have H. Mitchell Caldwell, otherwise known as Harry, uh, who's an author of a new series of legal thrillers, which is really a, uh, really a great series. He's getting very good reviews. And the first book is called Cost of Arrogance, which I read and I basically stayed up to about two in the morning to finish the book. It was, I just, I had to know what happened. And when that happens, I want to talk to that author because they've got a pacing, they've got a story, they've got the things that hit. So welcome, Harry. It's a pleasure to be here, Kathleen. Thank you. Um, So you are a law professor, which is what your character, Jake Clearwater, is. Uh, You have been a prosecutor, which your character had also been. But there is such a great mixing of what you do to talk about justice. And actually, it's something that you do at the law school. So tell us about this. the death penalty justice program. The uh, California Supreme Court appoints lawyers to represent folks that are already on death row. There are not enough qualified lawyers to represent the people that have already been condemned to death. Uh, So they need to seek out uh, qualified lawyers to draft the appeals of these folks so that they Uh, So the court can then do an adequate review to see if there were any mistakes made during the course of the trial. And I was fortunate enough to be one of the lawyers that was selected to represent people in appealing their death penalty conviction. So is that part of, you know, since your character does that, what, what sort of was the igniting spark to get you to come up with Jake Clearwater and start this series? You know, you write kind of what you know to a certain extent. I know this is a work of fiction, but so much of the of the book is based upon my personal experience in representing people appealing their death penalty uh, sentence. Uh, so much of the book is part of uh, what I do at the law school in teaching classes on trial advocacy and criminal law and criminal procedures. So I'm really you know, very, very familiar with this, uh, these kinds of issues and these kinds of concerns. So I felt really confident uh, writing. When you uh, have the story, it's not just about a trial. It's about the pre-trial. It's around all the extenuating circumstances that come up. I love some of your characters. They were so well-defined and had a variety of personalities that all came together. Did you craft any of those off of people you know, or were they just inspirations that came as you were writing? Yeah, a little bit of both. Some of the other folks that I talk about, some of the characters that I use in the book are based on some of my colleagues very loosely uh, that I teach with, uh, some of the lawyers that I've tried cases against. um, So it's kind of a, a mix of who I know and who I imagine. Uh, And it's really been fun to kind of in this fictional world, 
to to reach out and 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 discuss various personalities and how they would react to certain situations. I, I really felt good about a lot of the dialogue in the book that I thought it was it was it was pretty authentic, um, especially in the trial scenes. So I read a lot of legal thrillers and um, and I'm not denigrating any of that because I like that genre of book, but so often they steer clear of really how it takes place in the courtroom. And I wanted this to uh, kind of simulate uh, what it's like to actually be inside a courtroom watching real talented trial lawyers try cases, uh, their different approaches, some of the thought processes that go into different strategies and so on. I think that's missing in a lot of the legal thrillers. So I kind of wanted to bring that sense of authenticity to the book. Well, what I like, though, is, you know, you had a lot of the trial. In fact, you have two different trials in the book, uh, but they were very easy to understand. You didn't go into uh, some people think very dry law, very. uh, I've read a couple of books and like, you know, next. It's just like going. You made it really easy to understand. How did you do that translation? I think the really good trial lawyers can simplify and not not be condescending of the audience, but can make it understandable. Trials should not be something that it takes a lawyer to really understand. And by giving some of the strategies, some of the thoughts of the lawyers going into trials and how they were handling particular aspects, I think can be broken down into a very understandable format. And that's one of the things I'm really pleased about in the book is I think it has a lot of, I've already used the word authenticity, but I, that's the word that keeps coming back to me. It's it's easy to understand what these lawyers were doing when they were doing it and why they were doing it. Well, yeah, and that makes it better for the jury to understand. Yes. And because in any, I'm sorry, Kathleen, I cut you off. I no, think, no, go ahead. I, I think one of the big deals that uh, we need to keep in mind in trying a case, if there's only one audience that really matters, the judge doesn't matter, the folks in the gallery don't matter, frankly, even your client, the people you represent don't matter. It's all about how those 12 folks in the jury box think about this and, and what they think matters and so on. So I tried to really recognize that that's the audience that we're talking to. And in doing that, I think that's the reader's audience that we're talking to. So I think that all kind of worked out real well. Yes. I mean, your readers are the people who would be jurors. Absolutely. Yeah. So how did you, um, you know, you you sort of took, because you teach at Pepperdine, which is in Malibu, you use Malibu as a location, then you came up with a fictitious city, seems sort of like Ventura or, you know, Thousand Oaks or someplace, I'm not really sure, I kept guessing, but you were very good at, you know, creating a new identity for it. But I thought your, since I live in this area, I thought the way you translated the everything about it, I could clearly see it because of the way you described it. You didn't over-describe it, but you caught all the nuances of what are in each of those specific areas. Why did you select these areas? Well, again, you kind of write what you know, and I've been teaching at Pepperdine for quite a while. I, I felt uncomfortable using the name Pepperdine, so... 
I, I kind of invented Pacifico as a law school, but it's very thinly dis disguised out there. It's pretty obvious what school we're talking about. There's only one university in Malibu. There's only one law school uh, in Malibu. So uh, it's not very, very cleverly concealed, but I just felt kind of, I hadn't really gotten permission from anybody at Pepperdine to use the name. So I thought we would just go ahead and call it uh, something else. Yeah, it worked out well. Now you have a love interest in this story with Jake. Uh, tell us a little bit more how that was writing it and how you created the uh, female, uh, the woman, the, the mysterious juror, I think was what way I looked at her. Juror number 1107, I think, Kathleen, that name kind of jumps <laughs> up a little bit. I was married for 33 years to a lovely woman who is just, you know, the love of my life. She passed away a couple of years ago. And so I modeled a lot of this after my dear Joyce. Um, uh, so a lot of the characteristics, the way Lisa looks um, was just based upon kind of my, my heartfelt joy about having this wonderful woman in my life for so many years. That's really a nice tribute. That's really nice. Yes. You make her a very talented one. So not only are, do we have law and we have people in law school, you bring in students into the story who are assisting you with prepare, preparing for trial and uh, for po passing motions. I thought it was very interesting. Now you're surrounded by students every day. Um, how, do do many of them actually do that work? Yes, I employ students when I'm uh, drafting the appeals on these death penalty projects, and when I uh, am preparing to argue uh, one of these death penalty appeals in front of the California Supreme Court. I have students kind of uh, simulate the role of the judge, or the adversary, to uh, you know kind of sharpen me up on particular issues. I really enjoyed writing the classroom scenes, Kathleen. I thought I thought that was really fun, and and for the most part, those are those are pretty realistic scenes where the, the interaction between the, uh, the the professor and the students, and and some of the mistakes, and some of the highlights, and some of the fun, uh, some of the Socratic method that is developed in the. Uh, in the law school classroom kind of comes across as, as well as some of the personalities. So those, those chapters where we're in the classroom, where the professor is in the classroom, were some of my favorite uh, chapters. And those are very realistic to how a typical law school class uh, goes on. So, I, I, that's what I felt like. I felt like, well, I'm sitting here in this classroom. You know, I could see the different characters, especially that one male student who was the smart ass at the top of this in the back of the room. But, um, the, you know, it made it a really warm and friendly book with not only just being a legal thriller with the love aspect, the new relationship for Jake Clearwater, your character. Uh, it really moved it along. Now, previously, you had co-authored a series called Ladies and Gentlemen of the Jury. Tell me about that. These are a series of books that um, some, some partners and I, some co-authors and I, uh, decided this would be a good idea. It's an unfortunate reality is that 
so many great closing arguments, you know, down through the ages have have kind of been lost. And, and so we don't really have them to really study and what makes a Clarence Darrow, what makes a Jerry Spence so brilliant? Why are these guys the kinds of folks that we want to emulate when we talk about trial lawyers and so on? So I actually had a first year student come to me. He was a little older and he'd had a journalism background. And he said, you know, Professor Caldwell, there's not really a good compilation of closing arguments out there. And I got thinking about that. And his suggestion was, why don't we find some of those great closing arguments, write them up, do a review on them, critique them, give the background of that trial, and then make it uh, available to the public. And so that was kind of the birth of these three books. And I got to tell you that we've gotten so much positive reaction from the ladies and the gentlemen series of books. And and I felt really good because we've kind of memorialized some of these brilliant closing arguments, which is really kind of the highlight of a trial, uh, so that everybody can 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 have a have a full understanding of, of what makes them so good. And it's not just lawyers that appreciate that. Most of the people that buy these books uh, are lay folks, and they're just interested in really good uh, closing arguments. It's almost like fine literature. And, and uh, I've gotten so many, so many thank yous from folks that we were able to kind of uh, make these accessible to everybody. So I'm really proud of that series and, and proud of my, my, my two co-authors on, on that series of books. Yes, and is that something that also students, law students could refer to as, as they're, especially if they want to become a trial lawyer? I know not every attorney becomes a trial lawyer, but that sounds like an incredible series. It is. And in one of my real live first year classes, my criminal law class, I require the students to write one of their essay answers for their final exam in the form of a closing argument. So for oh. them to be able to look back to some of these brilliant closes, imagine Robert Jackson, who took a leave from the U.S. Supreme Court at the behest of, of FDR to go to Nuremberg and prosecute the Nazis. And what an incredible closing argument Jackson gives in that. Imagine being a prosecutor and going after the Nazis. I mean, does it get any cooler than that? It's just one of the, one of the, the in fact, I lead the book, we lead the book with uh, Jackson's close at the Nuremberg trials, which is just a masterpiece. So uh, what other books, what other trials did you pick from? Oh, we have a, you know, there, there's three books, so we probably have 30 closing arguments. Mm -hmm. My favorite, my favorite closing argument, and to my knowledge, as a guy that really kind of studies closing arguments, is Jerry Spence in the Karen Silkwood case. You might recall they made a movie with uh, uh, probably in the 70s or 80s entitled Silkwood, mm -hmm. um, in which uh, Silkwood is a real live individual working at a plant called Kerr-McGee that was processing plutonium. And we didn't really, at the time, we didn't really understand how dangerous this plutonium stuff was. So she was contaminated and, and her boyfriend and her daughter were contaminated and that's depicted in the movie. Um, but then she ended up dying uh, in, a, in a one car accident as she's going to meet with a reporter from the New York Times to kind of blow the whistle on the company that's not really taking adequate precautions in dealing with this deadly substance. 
and they made a brilliant movie out of it. What the movie didn't portray uh, is what we try to pick up in the book. So the father of Silkwood, who is Silkwood has now passed, um, wanted to find a lawyer that would sue the company, Kerr McGee, and, and he couldn't find anybody to do it. So he finally kind of stumbled on this lawyer that nobody had heard of, a guy named Jerry Spence, before he became famous. And Spence agreed to take the case. And Spence's, Spence's efforts, and especially his closing argument, is absolutely a work of art. It is, if, if anybody's only going to read one closing argument for the rest of their life, I'd recommend uh, the Jerry Spence close in the Silkwood case. In fact, I don't, I don't know why somebody hasn't done Silkwood part two, where they pick it up, where the dad has hired Spence and going through that entire trial. It, it just makes for great drama. Maybe one of these days, that might be fun to do a screenplay for that. Well, that, that is, Silkwood was one of my favorite movies. I had been following the story. And when she was killed, do you know how many people have been killed in a, on a two-lane road, single-car accident in Texas? It's kind of a way of eliminating people that are causing trouble. Especially, and it happens down there. And especially on their way to meet a reporter from the New York Times, right? Yeah, I mean, they, they uh, all just somehow have these lonely accidents, you know, which, um, you know, JFK, there are all kinds of people that happens only in Texas that I know of. <laughs> anyway, it's <laughs> not been a great Texas, Kathleen. It's a great state, right? It might have some problems, but it's a great state. Well, they have some problems, yes. Um, but I mean, I've just followed that over the last 40 years. Oh, another person died in a single car accident on his way to meet so and so. You know, uh, it's it's always interesting to me. Well, that sounds like a fabulous series. And you say there are three of those books. Yeah, the first one's called "Ladies and Gentlemen of the Jury." Um, it's called "The Greatest Closing Arguments in Modern Law." So there's kind of a colon in there. The second one is "And the Walls Came Tumbling Down." which just deals with great civil trials, uh, including the right to die and, and some of those other monumental cases. And then the last one is dedicated to criminal trials and it's called The Devil's Advocates. So I'm really proud of that series of books. Yes, and they if anybody's interested that's listening, they are available on Amazon because if you're a, a fan of the law and especially if you are reading legal thrillers, here's some of the most... Uh, incredible closing arguments that you know are that people study so yes. it'd be what a great compilation that's really good yeah we so, feel really good about that yes pardon yes we feel really good about that yeah no it was an excellent series to put together i like that silkwood father movie idea too anyway uh so back to uh the cost of arrogance uh your newest book if you would sum it up, what would what do you think is the driving motivation that got you through writing this book? Boy, that's a good question. I need to kind of think about that a little bit. I guess I've always had it in me to try to communicate some of the stuff that goes on in trials, important trials, and so on. And I just wanted to make this uh, as realistic as I could. So like I said, I mean, I love the Grisham books and the Tarot books, and they have some great trial scenes in it, but I didn't think they had quite enough. And, and so I wanted to expose 
folks to really how a trial works, uh, especially in the opening statements, the closing arguments. But I spent a lot of time focusing on cross-examinations, which is the least understood part of trials. And there's a real art to a good cross-examination. And I think you can see that in the books, especially in the first trial, uh, which is kind of a simple trial where the uh, where our, our, our lead character is cross-examining a cop that kind of went off the reservation a little bit. And you can see how a cross-examination should go, in my view, uh, by only making assertions as opposed to asking questions and, and really controlling the witness. So uh, and I think that's the way that, that it works in the real world. So I'm, I was pleased about how that came out. That's really good. Yes, I, I enjoyed it because you kept attention going all the way through on the uh, cross-examinations. Uh, you know, you were the your character was very calm. He went after them in a way. And I also liked uh, Duane, the man you were... Uh, you know, who, who had been sentenced to death. This guy had problems. I mean, <laughs> I mean you wrote a very complex, uh, multi-layered, uh, he's not really a criminal mind or a mastermind. And in fact, in the end, which I will not give away, it turns out it's like, oh my God, you know, he did that. And, um, but how did you dream up Dwayne? Well, Durgeon is loosely based on one of the folks that I represented uh, during, during one of the cases that I was uh, uh, handling in front of the California Supreme Court. So it's very loosely based on him. And it's based on my actual experiences, you know, going up to San Quentin, interviewing these folks that are, are have been condemned to die and how they're reacting to this and how they're coping with being shut up in a, in a, in a, in a difficult place like San Quentin for all of these years. Uh, the frustration, the constant angst of living under the threat of being executed by the state. Uh, it's just, it's hard to fathom how difficult those circumstances are. And, and we understand now that, that folks on California's death row uh, really aren't being executed. In fact, we even have a moratorium, as you well know, in California on, on, on executing folks. But just the, the, the constant pressure of knowing that at some point you could be executed takes a terrific toll, a terrible toll on these guys. And we know that most of them uh, die either as a result of suicide or old age. And they all age. Every one of the folks that I've represented they all age uh, terribly. I mean, way beyond their years. The sunken eyes, the sallow skin. Uh, it's just, it's a terrible place to be in. Uh, and I'm not saying these guys aren't terrible folks, but uh, it's just, it's a difficult thing for us to lock human beings on uh, up under under these kinds of circumstances. Do you, in, in your uh, work, uh, have you been able to prove that some of these people were not guilty, actual uh, clients that you had that you were appealing? Nope. I'm over seven in front of the <laughs> California Supreme Court. You know, the court has changed complexion in the last couple, at least in California, over the last couple of years and become a lot more liberal, I think, because we've had a run of Democratic senators. 
uh, I'm sorry, uh, Democratic governors, um, it's difficult to get the court to back away from somebody that's been sentenced to death by a jury and by the presiding judge of that trial. So I've gotten a few judges along the, the way, but I've never gotten a majority that we can bring up and, and say that there were some fundamental mistakes made at that trial. This guy deserves a new trial. And that's kind of that's kind of the driving force behind this book is that we have a guy who, in my view, did not get adequate representation at his trial. Uh, and the court did surprisingly uh, find that there were mistakes and therefore ordered a new trial. And that's where Jake then decides through a series of circumstances to represent this guy at the trial. So, yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Well, it, it's a really great read. As I said, I enjoyed reading it. I'm not, I'm, a, I wasn't, you know, I haven't read many recent books by John Grissom, but when he first came out, you know, I was grabbing them the day they came out and I used to fly around the country a lot. So I'd be reading them all on airplanes, a great place to read books. But your book, uh, Cost of Arrogance, really grabbed me. And I am really happy to be talking with you today. And it's available at Amazon. It's an ebook, a paperback, a hardcover. It's also available Barnes and Noble. You know, if you're an ebook person, I think it's on all of the ebook sites. And your website is hmitchellcaldwell.com. If you want to go and learn more about Harry and learn more about the books and some of his other books, that really interesting thing on closing or the series on closing art, great closing arguments. I think they sound wonderful. So, well, thank you for being with us today, Harry. I appreciate it's a, it. It's been a pleasure, Kathleen. Thank you very much for having me on. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Talking Book Publishing is brought to you by Writers and Publishers Network, a resource for writers and indie publishers at every level and offers tools to be successful in their writing career. Writersandpublishersnetwork.com. Don't miss our after hour segment, Conversations with the Producer, a segment where our producer, Adana Moriarty, talks with our guests and lets the conversation mosey wherever it moseys to. Mm-hmm.